This week's episode of the Star Wars Report is brought to you by the good folks supporting us over on patreon.com slash Report. Let's do the show, folks. Come, come, come. And who might you be? It's the Star Wars Report. Star Wars Report. Star Wars Report. The place for Star Wars news, features, interviews, and more. Then we can do something epic. Good morning. Good afternoon. Good evening. Please delete as appropriate. The Force. It's calling to you. Just let it in. Boy, you just you try to build a, a, a fortress, and man, people can be so picky about the interior design. I mean, freaking Chip and Joanna Gaines couldn't make a palace worthy of Lord Vader. Feng Shui counts. <laughs> this, I've been uh, I've been getting into this this whole uh, Star Wars comics thing. And um man, this new Vader series, it's it's ridiculous. It's amazing. Hey, oh hey, I'm Riley Blanton everybody. Welcome to the Star Wars Report podcast. So glad you've joined us. And uh with me, my Platonic Star Wars companion, Bruce Gibson, also producer of the show. Oh crap! I was wondering, am I the one? Or is, is he going to intro Mark, Mark? <laughs> or is he going to intro? <laughs> yeah, it was you. Uh, and of course, uh, Mr. Mark Hurlman, co-host extraordinaire, is back on the program, ready to Ooh. talk some Star Wars comics. You never thought you'd see the day, did you, sir? Right? Well, you picked the right one. So, I mean, clearly you were listening when I said, if you're going to read one, read that one or Kanan. Yeah, yes. which I've read both, B- BT dubs. Um, but yeah. Excellent. Yeah, and it's so great you to be here on Star Wars Beyond the Films right now. I'm so excited <laughs> to dig into some EU <laughs> canon EU stuff. Yep, yep, yep. No, it's been forever, hasn't it? <laughs> Dude, uh, it, it, it's, it's, been a, it's, it's been a long day um we've got all the comic stuff but of course we really only have one let's there's some other news stories some other chitter chatter on the on the twitter but you know there's only one story uh that matters this week and that is one outer rim story yeah and we're gonna talk about it in the news. We have something to report. Data have the news. Data brought to us by the Botham spies. We can send a clear transmission. There it is. Listen, listen. That's right, ladies and gentlemen, live from Anaheim, California, in a special press event. Uh, I just got back, guys, and woohoo! It was an amazing. Oh wait, that was my dream life, not my real life. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, but they just held a big press re- press event. And uh, uh, coming up in a second, we're going to be talking to somebody who actually was there, not me, uh, but Anthony Bresnikan of Entertainment Weekly is going to be coming up in just a sec to give his account of the overall event and the new details they've revealed about Star Wars Galaxy's Edge. But uh, let's let's actually dig into the meat of what they are talking about. And Anthony has, um, we're going to have links in the show notes, eight, count them, eight pieces on Entertainment Weekly detailing... The now they're confirming some rumor, dis, uh, disproving some rumors about it, and we've got uh, features on Millennium Falcon, Rise of the Resistance, the story elements of uh, Batu, the new integration with the Disney app, the shops mm-hmm. and restaurants, and uh, and finally merchandise. We've got basically 
almost everything of the the nitty gritty is being has been announced for uh, Star Wars Galaxy's Edge, and I'm gonna let you guys. I'll start with you, Bruce. Be the the pilot of this uh, Millennium Falcon. What do you want to know about Bruce? Because I just finished up these stories, and there's so much information. I don't know where to start. Really. Well, I can tell you where to start from with me. Okay, all right. It's all about the food, the food and the drinks. Okay, so I like this. We'll start with that. So getting to the, um, we'll start with the restaurants. We have, and so I'm going to click through the piece here. <clears throat> so for, oh, hang on, hang on. It's taking a second to load like it does. But uh, if you can click through as well, Bruce. Um, but we have a number of restaurants and uh dive bars and they're each kind of themed and again all of this is in universe so uh raise a toast mm. it's blue milk time everybody uh we uh, in the restaurants we have it looks like it's frosted in the first <laughs> i know in the first order controlled sector of black post uh black spire outpost so there, and we'll get into that in the story section, but there's a cart set up just across from the Thai Echelon Fighter where you can get a cool glass of blue milk or green, if that's your uh, uh, preference. So we finally... There's green milk? I know, there is green milk, which is like in Rogue One. There's, it's green in, in Rogue One, isn't it? Oh, no, yeah, it's, it's, yeah. The, from the when he squirted it out of its thing. Oh, get it. Oh, gosh. Oh, gosh. Oh, uh, my gosh. Uh, hey, it's actually please, not... Thank you. It's not actually... <laughs> it, okay. It's not actually uh, milk. No. <laughs> what is it? According to Scott Trowbridge. All right. So according to Scott Trowbridge, because listen, it's Florida. It's not going to go great if your main beverage <laughs> is a milk product. Like <laughs> I'm just saying that cart's not going to smell the greatest. Um, Scott Trowbridge, he's the Imagineering creative executive, and he's the dude at Disney overall in charge of this project. Uh, and he says uh, the, uh, the blue milk is actually plant-based dairy. Very conscious of them. Plant-based what? dairy is basically rice milk which makes it easier for everyone uh, to enjoy, including those who are lactose intolerant, and it is soft frozen like a milkshake. So the blue milk That's is actually... That's Yeah, it's frosty looking. Yep, yep, okay. it sure is. It sure is. Um, a lot like a smoothie. Okay. Yeah. So okay. That sounds better to me anyway. Yeah, yeah. No, absolutely. So Brian uh, Cazoyle, he's the food and be beverage concept director for Galaxy's Edge. How's that for a job title, ladies and gentlemen? The food and beverage concept director. That's a job. <laughs> Guys, there's a job in this universe that we live. I like the names, though. Blue Bantha. You can get a, a bloody rancor or yeah, yeah, a fuzzy let's go tauntaun. Through, let's, go, let's go through these. Um, so <laughs> let's get that. That's where you can get. That's the cart. We'll go kind of location to location. So let's away from the, uh, the cart uh, and go over to Oga's Cantina. Um, you can also find the blue milk here. However... The blue milk in Oga's Cantina is called the Blue Bantha, which means it's a little unique because it has a little little kick to it. Ooh. It's a little uh, a little kick to the blue milk in the uh, in uh, the cantina. It comes, but it's garnished with a sugar cookie. A sugar cookie topped with rice crisp and a bantha horn made out of frosting. Uh, it's basically the Star Wars version of the classic cookies and milk. Oh, it's non-alcoholic. <laughs> so oh, belay that, everybody. Sorry, sorry to get your hopes up. The Blue Bantha is non-alcoholic. I'm so disappointed right now. I really oh, thought... Keep, keep reading, keep reading. All right, all right. So first place. Um, however, let's not... For, they, well, there's hope, ladies and gentlemen. Yeah. There is hope because the August Cantina is going to be the first place in Disneyland 
that you'll be able to drink booze at the uh, at Disneyland Park. Among the beverages is, all right, you guys ready? The Bloody Raincor, a variation on the Bloody Mary. Mm-hmm. The Fuzzy Tauntaun, think a fuzzy navel. I don't know that drink, though. Any, uh, I'm not familiar. Any, uh, it's it's kind of like a, a, a screwdriver that's more frosty, I believe. Uh, I was about to say, any alcoholics in the house? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I kid, I kid. Um, Bloody Raincor, uh, Fuzzy Tauntaun, and the Bespin Fizz. Well, you truly belong here with us among the clouds. A rum-based um, cosmopolitan. Oh, ooh, a bubbly twist know. on the cosmopolitan. Uh, <laughs> what was that reaction, Bruce? Bruce? That was me going like, oh, wait, I just realized I have a question. Okay, question. Hit me. I, and So is it really, is it called Blue Milk in Universe? Yes. The, yeah. It is called, the, the yeah. At, yeah. Yeah, that, yeah, because yeah. we haven't heard it in the films called Blue Milk. That's but it's true. Been in like the novels, right? I think so. That'd be uh, more I a Mark question. Because we always we always call it Blue Milk, but we never actually saw that it was for sure milk. Now the true. green, we know it's a milk, but the blue, we don't know for sure in universe. Yeah, I mean it could like all be Bothan milk because we really don't know what a Bothan looks like either. We don't. Yeah, <laughs> for all we know, it's yeah, it's something whatever. These things I, like, that are still yeah. not explained. True. Yeah. True. Like a, you know, Tatooine Coca-Cola plant made it. <laughs> exactly. Oh, well, uh, gentlemen, there's we've only just begun. Because then we have Docking Bay 7, Food and Cargo, located in the heart of... This sounds like a travel-like brochure. Located in the heart of Black, of downtown Black Spire Outpost. You can spot this sit-down restaurant from around Galaxy's Edge, thanks to the delivery shuttle parked on top. Ooh. Oh my gosh, there's so much detail. Chef Strano Cookie Tugs, Cookie's the nickname, is the nice. proprietor, and it's his kitchen, a modified Sanayar Chal Utilipidipidab Transport. That's how you pronounce it. In other words, it's a flying food truck. Uh, he's dropping off cust- uh, food meals for the customers below in, the, in trailer-sized food crates that themselves are marked with a sly Easter egg. The first one is stamped 77. The middle one dangling through the iris in the restaurant ceiling is delivered. It's marked with 80, and the other one is, you guessed it, 1983. If you don't get the reference, you're listening to the wrong podcast. Um, <clears throat> don't know anything else about uh, Cookie Tugs except for that he's honed his culinary skills working in the kitchen of Maz Kanata's castle on Takadana. It's all, it's all... But what's funny is that like this level of detail... Seems a little overblown. Am I surprised by this? No. no. And am I am I um, am I surprised by the childish glee in Mike, Mark Herleman's eyes? It's this level of detail in the universe. <laughs> I'm also not surprised by that um, at all. So uh, then we have all right. Uh, well, before you get there, I got a comment real quick. Oh yeah, yeah. That shuttle. If that shuttle is designed after the one Zane Carrick used in the Legacy or the uh, Kotor series, because they him and uh, Griff actually went through the Mandalorian Wars in a food shuttle and was serving to the Republic. Wait, really? That's a thing? Yes, so if they took like that idea, like, oh, man. Oh, it does sound brilliant. like, I, I bet you anything, Mark, that they've, like, they took the idea and they're like, oh, we'll just kind of make it our own. Um, hey, uh, we also have Ronto Roasters, a dinosaur-like four-legged liz- uh, lizard beast, that's a Ronto, uh, that a Jawa was seen riding through. We already know that. Uh, despite looking like a uh, flightless dread, Ron- he, wow, he's going into a lot of detail. Okay, here we go. This food stand... Uh, a weary droid turns a crank that spins slabs of their meat beneath the slow roaster made out of an old pod racer engine. Ooh, delicious. The food is being cooked by a robot, and it's just a prop. 
The real stuff is actually barbecued pork, accompanied by grilled sausage and coleslaw on a chalupa. It's prepared in the mm. kitchen. Uh, oh. oh, thank God! Uh, the sandwich, and they've got a, they've got a bunch more food. I'm actually going to go through the food because, like, enough of that. that. Those are the locations. Uh, again, a quick recap: we've got Ronto Roasters, Docking by Seven Food and Cargo, Ogus Cantina, and then a little drink stand. What is it called? I'm have to scroll way back to the beginning. Oh. It doesn't actually n- name the uh, food stand, I don't think so. And don't uh, forget Katsaka's Kettle, where you can get your kettle-cooked popcorns. <laughs> Wait, really? I know, I saw that. It doesn't look all that good to me. Oh. What? Bruce! So, I'm going to the Saichon food. We've got, we've got the Yob Shrimp Noodle Salad. Who thought there'd be this much food on a Star Wars Report episode? <laughs> uh, which is a shrimp in the galaxy. It's like this... Uh, well, so they've got a shrimp dish, the Ronto wrap, which is pork uh, barbecue tacos. Who? Uh, they've got the fried and Dorian tip uh, tip yip. That's a uh, tip yip. Flightless birds found among the Ewoks. It's chicken. Kadu uh, ribs, barbecue ribs, of course. Felucian garden spread, a little vegetarian dish. Kind of looks. You know, I'm just gonna uh, not order that. And uh, let's see, roasted burra fish. Ithorian Garden Loaf. It's meatloaf, but it's vegetarian version of it. Uh, <laughs> shack Roast. Oh, wow. That's a pretty cool reference. I love how he says, Shack, a rotund beach ball shaped. No, it's tick shaped. Anybody who's lived in Georgia, <laughs> you know, you know, Bruce, you know. It's not yeah. shaped like a beach ball. It's shaped like I've a had to pick those ticks out of your hair before. Yeah, uh, exactly. Exactly. Uh, oh, so for desserts, they have... <clears throat> Uh, uh, let's see, a uh, raspberry cream puff topped with passion fruit. And then here we go, drinks. Are you ready? We have uh, Mugen iced tea, mm-hmm. uh, Blue Bantha milk and cookies, Bloody Raincore, Bloody Mary, uh, and Black Spire Brew, which is an iced coffee drink that they have. Oh. They have the Outer Rim, Besbin Fizz, Yub Nub. There's a drink called the Yub Nub. Yes. Oh, I'm getting that. Yes. Yeah. That better be what? pineapple-y. Yeah, what's uh, in it? So it's in order. They don't have the... This is just the gallery, so it's the third. Uh, um, but it's it's served in what in a little whiskey decanter, and it looks a little bit like a kind of whiskey sour, if I were... Mm-hmm. Some kind of sour is what it looks like to me. Uh, it looks fantastic. So, ladies and gentlemen, that's one of eight stories. <laughs> That's one of eight stories that we have. So do we need to make reservations at any of these restaurants? Do they say if Uh, some reservations ten years out? I know. Right. Exactly. That's why I'm wondering. No, and I don't. So the um, the food truck one is going to be your walk and dine. It's not going to be a sit down like a lot of the Disney have. I forget. There's a technical term, and if I had Aaron Goins on. Uh, when we talk about food this on cart. Mouse and Castle, he'll be he'll he'll have the details. But that's more like food cart it's type. It's called standing. Yeah, standing. That's the technical term. <laughs> the technical term. Food vendors. <laughs> uh, thank you, Bruce. I appreciate that. <laughs> so you don't need Aaron going. He's here. like, I'm, I'm right. I don't know what you're talking about. This other podcast, Aaron. Uh, um, uh, so. All right. Uh, we have details on the Millennium Falcon ride and the Rise of the Resistance, but we've already kind of dealt with the rumors on that and it basically just confirms all the rumors the millennium falcon ride i guess the uh, one interesting piece of detail that um you guys should know is it confirms the 
entire ride is kind of a it, the lines are incorporated into it especially with rise of the resistance um however with the millennium falcon they have this interesting thing where in the center of the falcon like where the uh, chess table is and the, the the lounge chairs and stuff like that they let you in and they let a certain number of people in and then give them numbers by their party and they call the party forward. So you just chill in the Millennium Falcon for a while while you're waiting and you can just roam around. There's no line. You're just roaming nice. around inside the Millennium Falcon. I thought that is brilliant. I that thought, cool. I, I, yeah, that was, that was pretty sweet. Uh, let's see. He has, uh, he has a few more details on it. Um, let's see. See, I get excited about the one about the storyline. Yeah. You know, and they're talking about that, and they're like, Batu used to be a quiet nowhere, but now it's the front line of conflict. I mean, you know, we've seen references to Batu in books and stuff already, some comics and stuff. Yeah. But it's been a backwater world. It's the sequel trilogy that's really pushing where it's at. And I mean, you know, some people have complained that, well, this is all sequel trilogy. If you want to see old trilogy stormtroopers, you're not going to see that. I would assume even in the sequel trilogy, they're going to have a museum of some form or fashion. But I think that that's cool that we're pushing that. I mean, and one of the things they talk about is it's being an occupied city. This isn't a sleepy backwater anymore. The First Order recently sent a garrison here seeking something. Mm. Uh, the garrison is the 709th, the Red Fury. And the fact that they're looking for something, like, it plays into that mystery they've been talking about. And you were talking about how uh, Anthony is mentioning that there's an app a aspect where you scan things and you're mm -hmm. seeking things yourself. I mean, I'm excited about that aspect and the more that people are going to learn about that as it goes forward. Because I'm sure even though the press were there, there's a lot that they're not telling people. Yeah, uh, both in story in terms of story and in terms of crowd control. They're still not really talking about how they're going to handle the crowds. Uh, right. Which you know it is what it is. It's, there's really no, there's no way around it. But I think the um, the other way that they've really, I've, I've a sort of general sense I have on the design where they have the well, a it's so big that the to go experience all these different shops, restaurants, uh, rides. They've really sort of strategically probably placed them to kind of disperse the crowds into areas. Because if you go into some of, I don't know, Hollywood Studios being a good example, like there are areas of Hollywood Studios where there's just never a crowd because of the way it's designed. Like back in the day when they had the, um, the Streets of America section in the back, that section was pretty much almost always empty, which is one of my favorite places to just go hang out when I was there. And I sort of get that sense that there will... There will certainly be the big attractive rides that will have the long lines and stuff, but you'll be able to find areas that are cool to just hang out with your friends that won't be as crowded. Hopefully. That's my little fingers crossed thing. Uh, Mark, you mentioned the app. Let's, let's dig straight into it. This is basically what, another way they're, tr they're gamifying the story and making um, an opportunity for you to actually immerse yourself into the experience. And that is via what we all have in our pockets day to day, smartphones. And specifically, I'm just going to jump to the story, uh, to the story uh, Anthony has here, quote, since the first order has arrived on Black Spire Outpost, they've started uploading a surveillance system to the door control panels to monitor what's going on in the outpost. Now, obviously, the resistance may not want their actions to be tracked, and they like to fly under the radar, so, that radar, so they're trying to fight back. There are, score, there are scores of these, quote, surveillance boxes embedded in the walls around towns, and you can use the Play Disney Parks app 
to, quote, hack into them by solving a simple puzzle, and you can choose to deactivate them to help the resistance or reactivate them to aid the First Order. And as time goes on, the game runs out and the winner is declared. That's one, <laughs> so that's one part of the gaming uh, gamifying. You can also scan and translate via the app. It can read markers on containers, buildings, and reveal a little bit more about what's inside. So, for example, on the Millennium Falcon Smuggler's Run Ride, it'll uh, pass time in line by filling you in on all the impending missions, and you can, like, read things on the wall. Um, and that's kind of... And in some of the labels, like, you can... It'll translate for you, but you have to, like, solve a puzzle in the app for it to do, and it's, quote-unquote encrypted uh and it, that way they don't actually really have to label a lot of stuff in english it'll be an arabash yeah. to kind of have that more immersive uh feel i'm on the d23 site and they're also talking about that same aspect so guests can also use the app to interact with a variety of elements like antenna arrays door panels drinking fountains <laughs> drinking fountains i mean how, how ironic will that be like is it going to play music at me is it sprays water droids media screens and ships so you'll be able to interact with ships as well i think that's kind of cool man turns your phone into a mini droid so to speak yeah basically Wait. Some of them are. Yeah, I know. It also you can <laughs> eavesdrop because you, you can do this in the app. It can, you can tune into transmissions by the from the first order or the resistance, and or or tune into like intercept texts that look like gibberish. You can decode them, and that's where you'll learn more about the story and what the first order is quote unquote after. And that's also I think where it'll track when you're trying to like interact or like get hired by Hondo to pilot the Millennium Falcon like that, like the ride story has. Um, I don't know. Well, let me ask you, Bruce, what do you think? What, what is the first order after? Like, what do you think, uh, how will that actually play into the experience? If you're just a hazard, a guess, uh, gee, I don't know. The first order must be after something that's related to Jedi. Yeah. <laughs> See, I'm, well, I'm going the opposite direction. I'm thinking Kylo Ren is looking out for Sith relics because he's not a Sith. So maybe he's deciding to take that. I mean, looking also on the D23 official fan club site, when they got some of their merch, there's a statue of Darth Maul, but there's a, a Sith holocron there, a Sith book, some kind of uh, Sith crystal, another Sith ornament box. There's a lot of really cool, like, old archaeological type stuff, as well as Jedi holocrons and other goodies that are being sold. But that that like Indiana Jones feel to this stuff, like maybe that's what they're looking for. Maybe there's an old Sith temple on the planet. Or maybe they're looking for a Mickey Mouse ice cream bar. I love those. (laughs) (laughs) I'm always looking for those at Disney. So, yeah, just one last detail on the app. So basically, like you said, Mark, you can interact with some droids rolling around village with the app, um, and you can learn more about like the word on the street and what it's and and what's going on. And then you can also take jobs inside the app where you can accept uh, a mission, basically, with characters like Hondo and Naka. Uh, and you could like, there's one, there's a mission where you can try to find schematics for a first order starship and there's rewards for completing the task, uh, which is pretty sweet, but also, um, not just like digital point rewards, but like this, 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 like the ship schematic, for example, if you actually find it and get it, you can get a copy of it, uh, which is kind of, which is kind of cool. And, uh, that that's smart. I like that idea. That's pretty. You know, sweet. Bruce is looking for certain types of ice cream and stuff. I I heard you say earlier that there's places you can build lightsabers in secret too. Yes. So and and I that's really the kind of the final piece on this is, uh, and and we could go into so much more detail. There's so much, and and Anthony will give us a little bit more perspective on in 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 person when we get him on the phone here in a sec. But um, we basically, 
um, when it comes to the shops, we have a good number of options. Uh, and again, we'll have the link to it and more pictures and things in the show notes. But it starts off with Doc Ondar's Din of Antiquities. Get it? Not Din of Iniquity. Mm-hmm. Din of Antiquity. Huh. Right. Um, <clears throat> let's see. Have you ever been, uh, have you been attentive to Doc Ondar? Kira asks a servant of Solo in Star Wars story. Oh, uh, that's interesting. I didn't realize that that was a thing in Solo. Yeah. Doc Ondor is an Ithorian, better known as Hammerhead, and he presides over his shop of artifacts and is uh, uh, also going to be the ce- central figure in the upcoming book um, by Ethan Sack. What is the name of it? They actually have a link here. I'm kind of curious. Uh-huh-huh. Ethan Sack. I don't know. It's somewhere. Ah, here we go. Old Man Hawkeye. Galax- Star Wars <laughs> Galaxy's Edge. Old Man Hawkeye, and that's where that kind of talks about this Ithorian character, this Doc Ondor. He's the gatekeeper of the black market, said Margaret Curison, managing story editor with Walt Disney Imagineering. Quote, if you are uh, somewhere in the galaxy and you have uh, a one-of-a-kind valuable rare item that you want to sell, you want to come to Batu and look for Black Spire Outpost and find this infamous Ithorian. Uh, so anyway, you can see some collectibles in his shops. Um, in one large glass aquarium, there's like a little baby Dinoga looking thing. There's like a taxidermized wampa in the shop. Uh, <laughs> you can uh, study his arms for lightsaber burns if you want to be sure about where he collected said wampa. <laughs> anyway, so some of his valuables are not for sale, but many great statues of Sith and Jedi and holocron cubes containing wisdom of the light and dark side and assorted historic lightsabers will be for sale, available for purchase for Earth visitors to take home with them. You bet they nice. will be. Actually, like bring an extra suitcase. I kind of mm-hmm. like the idea of making some stuff not available for purchase. That's kind of yeah. cool, actually. Like, sorry. Yeah, it's all the stuff that I want. <laughs> I can't yeah, I know, buy right? it, probably. Right? <laughs> I want the Wampa. Wait, can you imagine having <laughs> that big Wampa? Yeah. That would be awesome. Um, then we have Savvy's Lightsabers, which Ooh. the sign on the outside just says Savvy and Son Salvage. Get it? <laughs> <laughs> Sanford. Like Sanford and yes, Son. that's the one. Thank you. When really, Jedi going. lightsabers are kind of like the hot red car club of the Star Wars galaxy. I guess maybe. Um, so it's you know not. This a, is reminding me of, of like the wand store for Harry Potter. Very yeah. much, yeah. kind of, yeah, like that. Because basically, it's a front. It, it, it's it's not in fact a salvage, uh, but once you get through. Um, you can sign up for a build session and choose from assorted parts to assemble a lightsaber that will be unique to your personality. Yeah, this is totally the wand thing. Um, they're a bit more detailed than advanced. Uh, finishing hilt costs about 109. The blade itself is 50. Uh, so <laughs> that'll set you back a pretty penny. Um, they'll also counter shop employees known as gatherers. And quote, they have dedicated their life to balancing the force and sharing their knowledge of it. The piece here, I don't know if you guys have it up, but it has some pretty sweet... Uh, concept art of what it would look like yeah. uh, inside, which is pretty cool. Bunch of different styles you can do. They have Peace and Justice, which is like Jedi style. Um, they've got a more dark side style, elements of nature, more raw materials. Ooh, I like that. Rancor Tooth of Sacred Wood. Oh, man. This sounds pretty great, actually. <laughs> uh, then they have Mubo's Droid Depot. That's where you can basically build your own droid. Um, you can purchase a smaller one the size of like a coffee machine that can re- be remote controlled around Black Spire Outpost. Ooh, that's kind of cool. 
let's see. That's pretty cool. And then they have Bina's Creature Stall, where you can, quote-unquote, buy a pet. They're not, they're not real animals. But you can buy a little mini, like a little, little stuffed Tauntaun and Porg. And, <gasps> and, and <laughs> that noise you just heard was Bruce seeing a puffer pig. Yes! I'm buying a puffer pig. You better puff. <laughs> you better puff. Um, yeah. The baby the baby Tauntaun squeaks and coos when you pet it, and the miniature Aww. tentacle beast Rathtars shudder savagely. The wart oh frog lashes out his Rath-tars. tongue, and the puffering pig growls sweetly. Doesn't sound like it puffs, Bruce. Uh, that's okay. We can only imagine. I'll make it puff. They'll have larger animatronic uh, versions of the creatures that will populate cages and aquariums around the shop, but those aren't Yay. for sale. Okay. Uh, and then they finally have the Toydarian toy shop. Get I it? I like these. Get it? So it's like the in-universe, it's this um, Toydarian, Zabaka, who has made little felt stuffed animals based on the quote-unquote story she's heard of the heroes of the Resistance, right? And, and so you can, they're kind of like cute felt doll versions of like Rey and Kylo Ren and Yoda. These look like they're great dolls for dogs to chew on, too. <laughs> I know, I can see that. look like it, actually. Oh, man. And so that's basically, huh, that's basically it. That's like all the new details. Uh, we kind of skipped over the Millennium Falcon uh, and Rise of the Resistance details, but we'll really we'll we'll hit up uh, Anthony on some of those as well. But uh, I think I, I I think that's pretty much it. That's a lot. I know that's a lot to cover, guys. Mm-hmm. But uh, you ready for opening weekend, Bruce? Come on out! Woo-hoo! I am so ready for opening weekend to call you and say I'm so glad I'm not there and you have to deal with the crowds. <laughs> nothing's gonna sell bruce on this it's not gonna happen well there Uh, might be there's a slight there's a slight 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 chance well listen the air i'm on the rife and bandwagon on this one they're they're um (laughs) i know there's good listen an airbnb is gonna be booked you're gonna have the room we're gonna have the passes we'll call you up and see like hey man just book a flight now, when does the hotel open? That disney hotel that's orlando so that and that won't even be this year that's like next year Okay, so that's when I'm going. Uh, okay, well, all right, Mr. Money Man. <laughs> Do it right. <laughs> I know, right? Um, but, uh, yeah, without further ado, actually, let's uh, jump right over to uh, for, for in-person details of, uh, of the unveiling from Disney and, uh, and Lucasfilm. Let's get right to uh, Mr. Anthony Bresnikin of Entertainment Weekly. You're listening to the Star Wars Report. It's against my programming to impersonate a deity. All right, we are on the phone right now with uh, the one, the only, Anthony Bresnikin. Uh, welcome back to the show, man. And, uh, man, it looks like you had uh, a, a very Star Warsy uh, week or two. I don't, I don't even know how long. All, looking at all the pieces that you've had, like eight different pieces chronicling everything that Disney's unveiled about Galaxy's Edge. It's crazy. It was like one week of uh, visiting and touring and interviewing and one week of writing. So, uh, Jeez. that's what it amounts to. I guess you call that a working vacation since a lot of people will be paying <laughs> big money to go visit this place on their own. Well, so, so what's the process? Because we've been talking about the, the ride, the food, all the details of it. But uh, what's the actual um, process that, that Disney did for you? And I know a couple journalists were like, what did they actually show you and talk about? Where all did you go and get the... Uh, information how much yeah. did you get to eat the food that's really the important thing yes actually did get to eat the food um that was a nice surprise um so yeah so they invited a handful of 
of reporters from different outlets. Uh, you know, I was there representing for Entertainment Weekly, and uh, like Amy Ratcliffe from Nerdist, and Jermaine Lucier from uh, Gizmodo, and uh, people from like the Orlando newspaper and the uh, Orange County newspaper, uh, who you know obviously cover amusement parks a lot. And uh, so we went up to Lucasfilm, and we had a day there where we. Um, you know, had, uh, I guess you'd call them sort of big round tables with like, uh, I think there were about maybe 12 to 15 of us reporters. And then they would have four or five people who specialized in one area, like story development, right? The story group and the Imagineers who worked in the story were there. And then they, Pablo Hidalgo kind of led them in a conversation. And, um, and then, and we talked about just sort of what the immersive experience was like there, how they were trying to make galaxy's edge and black spire outpost and the planet, but to, uh, not just like a star Wars themed land where it's like an amusement park themed with star Wars, but actually feel like a location that you might visit in the galaxy. And, uh, then we came down back down to Los Angeles and, uh, the Glendale area for the, to actually tour Imagineering and meet some of the Imagineers and talk about, you know, the play Disney parks app and how that factors in look at some of the early, uh, work in progress on the animatronics for, uh, you know, Honda Onaka, who's your guide to the Millennium Falcon ride. And, um, this creature called Dakandar, who's an Ithorian alien, you know, the old hammerhead. Mm-hmm, yep. He runs this sort of antiquity shop. He's a major, sort of major character. One of the major uh, characters from Black Spire Outpost that you will actually be able to see. There are a few others like Ogagara, who runs the cantina. I'm not sure you're actually going to interact with them. They might turn up in stories, but they're more rumored to be around than actually seen. But Dakandar, you're actually going to be able to lay eyes on. Oh, interesting. Negotiate with. Um, so then we toured, so we toured Glendale, then we drove down to Anaheim and, um, and, uh, on day three, got to tour the actual site of the park Dang! and eat some of the food that they're going to have there, which was pretty good for, uh, for, you know, if you like Ronto, uh, <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, how is Ronto or Kadu or, mm. Mm. Dude, there's uh, we have Kadu ribs. You have Ronto is a different beast, though. Ronto is like that big dinosaur-looking thing that the Jawa rides through in mm. Star Wars Special Edition. Um, this is, I think, for your listeners, like this is a testament to what they're doing. There is everything is in world, so even the food is a character. So instead of eating uh, barbecued pork mm. or beef, you're having Ronto, and. Um, mm. Instead of chicken, you have Tip Yip, which is a dumb-sounding name because it's in the Ewok language, you know? <laughs> yup Nub, Tip Yip, that's their little flightless bird, so it tastes like chicken because in our galaxy, it is chicken. <laughs> and uh, it's just kind of fun like to think that even the food is cosplay. Yeah. Which and and how does that play? Because I, I in, in the story piece and and we'll, again we'll have the links to to the entire uh, series of pieces that you have, Anthony, because they're so awesome um, mm-hmm. in, in the show notes here. But you you talk about that storyline and, and Pablo talking about it. Um, h- how do they link this the story? And and I really just want to get straight to the part that piqued my interest most, which is the idea of that the resistance and first order have arrived on Batu recently and they're after something and it really kind of feels like and and this is just the i guess this betrays my age and my era of star wars fandom but this feels like kind of like being dropped into the middle of a knights of the old republic game 
a, like a role playing game where you're just kind of dropped in to the to the surroundings. And and I'm wondering what on earth are they after? And uh, I want to play the game. I don't know what the game is, but I feel like there's a game to play. Yeah, I couldn't tell you what they're after. Uh, I have a feeling that maybe that'll come out in some of the storytelling that's headed our way with uh, some of the novels, or maybe episode nine. Maybe episode nine has a you know a chapter or a section about Batu. That's I'm not saying that like maybe, maybe like I'm teasing something. I honestly don't know. Were they? But it. it uh, uh, it may be none of that. It yeah. may be none of that. It may be simply that they're trying to protect the story of Galaxy's Edge so you experience it once you're there. You know, like this yeah. is the first amusement park area that's going to need like spoiler warnings in a way because you've got to have something there to surprise people, right? Let yeah, because it seems like they were part of the story. They gave you guys a lot of details as far as the sort of in-universe story and characters and backgrounds. And, and even as I'm reading, I'm like, man, I feel like I'm reading movie spoilers more than anything else, uh, which is kind of a weird yeah, thing to the say. Idea, the idea that Savi is this junk dealer who uses his salvage operation to mask that he's actually manufacturing lightsabers for the resistance, like that's pretty cool, yeah. you know? That's a cool story, but that would be the kind of thing, if this were a film, where they'd be like, meet Savi, there's more to him than he seems, you know? Yeah, <laughs> Instead, know. you actually find out, oh yeah, he's making lightsabers, so you can go in there and get a custom-built laser sword. Yeah, which is, and, and again, I, I saw some of the details on that. Uh, a pretty price, but it looks like they're pretty premium quality, too. Uh, yeah, these aren't blade builders. These yeah. are uh, pretty heavy-duty, like, collectible toys. Yeah. So you can play with them. But also, you can put them on the wall, and this is your unique lightsaber with a rancor tooth hilt, you know, Which, or any number of varieties. Yeah. So whether it's um, whether it's Savitan's Salvage or Oga's Cantina or or any of these these sort of in universe experiences. Um, how does Disney, and, and you mentioned a little bit, but could you talk a little bit more about how Disney's actually going to be using cast members to populate the uh, the experience, but kind of also contribute to the story, it looks like? Well, Disney's always said it casts its employees, right? That's why they're all called cast members. They're all playing a part. It's all part of the show. Um, but that's really more true in Galaxy's Edge than anywhere else because, you know, they'll have a little Disney badge that's recognizable as a Disney badge, but it has a special uh, Black Spire Outpost logo instead of the whatever it is, Magic Castle. Yeah. It's sort of yeah. like a, a special design for their park, and it has their name written in English, but also underneath in Arabesh. So um, you can uh, you can still identify the workers, you know? Yeah. But you but they are being trained. Sounds like they're getting a little bit of improv training and encouraged to have an opinion about politics, not earth politics. I don't think they're going to debate you on Trump, yeah. <laughs> but they will. They uh, will be glad to talk about like whether they're happy that the first order is there, bringing a little bit of uh, law and order to the this sort of outlaw region, or maybe they're a little worried and you know whispering about the resistance who's set up shop in the woods just outside of town. So they're there to kind of play a part. And then the Disney, uh, the Play Disney Parks app, that kind of encourages them, right? Or is a part of the, a part of the, uh, uh, I guess, the show. Yeah. So if you go on Millennium's run, Millennium Falcon Smuggler's Run, as you guys have already probably discussed in the show, 
six people in the cockpit. Each yeah. one has a different job to do. And it, I don't think it's like, I don't think you can just fly anywhere. Like you can't just take the ride and say like, well, let's go look at Nab- Naboo or wherever. Uh, I think it's a little bit more like choose your own adventure. You get different tasks, things you have to do within a certain period of time or else story B kicks in. And uh, how well you do on that mission can be recorded by your phone. Oh. And then when you go to Oga's Cantina, the bartender might go, I don't know, can you afford that? Sounds like you owe Hondo some money for wrecking the Falcon. <laughs> some, you know, things like that. So they've got a little signal there on their device that tells them exactly who you are and how to play along with your experience in the park. Uh, and otherwise, they're just there, a little bit like Colonial Williamsburg, like playing the part of a better churn, you know, or yeah. uh, uh, what have you. Well, and 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 because because um, yeah, we, I was just talking to uh, my buddy Aaron, and he um, he just used the Disney Play app for the first time in Toy Story Land because they just debuted it. But mm-hmm. it sounds like it's it's sort of getting its own Star Wars skin, and it does a lot. And I'm guessing that it can they can really integrate it and upgrade it, and maybe even create new stories or missions that you can do. But like it, it has like a what a translator. It has um, these these like switches that you can operate based on what faction you want to align with yeah you don't really choose i'm first order or uh, it's not like battlefront right where you yeah. can choose to be the good guys or the bad guys it's a little bit more like uh you're cho- you, you're gonna choose you've heard this transmission you've intercepted this transmission now are you going to do the task that helps the resistance or the thing that helps the uh first order and so it's all based on your choices there's no like choosing up sides automatically yeah you get my drift like there are these little uh not sure what you'd call them like little little electronic panels all through the land yeah Mm -hmm. that are basically door panels but they're equipped the story is that they're they've been uh hijacked by the first order and they're being used as surveillance on black spire outpost so if you want to undermine big brother you take your phone, you just solve a quick little visual puzzle and uh, hack into that thing and disable it. And you can go through the park disabling them. And it's a little bit like capture the flag. Like you have people who are on the other side trying to reactivate. Oh, interesting. Right? So you can, uh, I, I, it's it, the details were a little bit fuzzy, but it seems like maybe this game plays out over a certain period, depending on how many people are doing it. Okay. And uh, once you reach the, once the clock runs out, uh, whoever has activated or disabled the most uh, wins the, wins that round. So that seems to be one of the ways you could play. And you don't have to do any of this. You could also just sort of hang around and eat Toronto. It really seems to be designed for like a, a, a again, sorry, we, and this is the thing that it's really hard to avoid when talking about Galaxy's Edge, but like the, the Westworld comparison of like what, what layer of the game do you want to get to like exactly. how, how involved do you want to be because if you want to just take your kids and go build a lightsaber and get some delicious star wars food uh and order blue milk uh then you can but if you also want to download the app and go around and translate things and go on these like mm-hmm. scavenger hunt type things that's also available for you exactly yeah well and, and the other thing you mentioned factions i guess the other thing geographically since you've actually kind of i don't know how much you actually got to see of the locations but it seems sort of like the factions at least in universe in the park are geographically separated because you sort of have the resistance area where the rise of the resistance experiences and you have the first order area where they have the uh, what the tie what is it not enforcer uh echelon i think the new tie fighter yeah yeah, yeah. Absolutely. 
So, yeah, they're separated. They're kind of at either end of the park for uh, of Galaxy's Edge. And I believe Galaxy's Edge has three entrances, like one that comes in through the woods, one that's in the center of town, and one that's sort of in the, I'm not sure what direction it is, but sort of if you're facing it yeah. head on, like off to the right. And that entrance is where you come in through a cave into the uh, Black Spire outpost, and it's where the Thai Echelon has settled, and that's sort of the First Order sector. That's their stronghold. So you might find them intermingled all throughout, but that's the stronghold. Then you have the center of town. That's where the Millennium Falcons parked, where all the restaurants and shops are. Uh, and there's an entrance there, too. And then you can leave town through the marketplace, and there's like a little obelisk there, and then it becomes a little more wooded, and then it's a lot wooded. And you find the resistance off in that area uh, set up on, you got a, a blue squadron X-Wing, and mm-hmm. an A-Wing fighter, and then the entrance to the Rise of the Resistance ride inside the ruins of an ancient civilization there that carved uh, caves and structures into the mountainside. Did they actually take you through the experience of Rise of the Resistance? I know that I, I was reading the piece. I know they didn't tell you how it ends, but, but how much detail did they give you on that? Quite a bit, uh, and I would have to say that the ride itself begins once you're in line. They're taking a page from you know Indiana Jones yep. mm-hmm. and making the experience. Although they're not selling you AT and T, like when you decode the language on Indiana, the Indiana Jones ride, it's like <laughs> sign up ten cents a minute with AT and T, and like uh, or Sprint or one of those, and it's like oh, that's pretty outdated from 1996, but okay. <laughs> and uh, they're not really doing that this time, but like you can use your. Uh, play Disney Parks app to decode the names that are on some of the flight suits that are hanging up. And mm-hmm. I think you might see like some familiar names there. And uh, and then you know we got off world in the shuttle that's piloted by a nine nub, and then uh, captured by the First Order, where you end up in a hangar. So that image people see, you know, of the First Order hangar for Rise of the Resistance, it's I guess concept art. Yeah, like with the big ads. Um, that's. that's well, there's the Adats, but then there's just the hangar where they're all the stormtroopers and the. Um, oh, I know which one you're talking about. Yeah, and the Tie Fighters hanging up on the walls. Like that room is huge. That's real, and I think they're going to use some forced perspective to make mm-hmm. it seem even bigger. Meaning, you know, you might have like some stormtrooper animatronics that are actually a little smaller than you realize, make it seem like they're further away, or like, yeah. you know, the room is larger and the the. The uh, TIE fighter itself is a little small, but it, based on where you're standing and the way the lights are, it might you, you trick the eye into thinking it's huge, but it's still a huge room to play a hell of a game of uh, basketball in there. And, like, <laughs> uh, um, yeah, amazing to see that scale. You know, and then you go into an interrogation room, and then from there you get on. We haven't even gotten on the actual ride-ride part of the attraction yet, where you go rolling through on a self-guided cart through the uh, First Order ship. And then some other characters turn up. You run into Kylo Ren. You, as you said, you hit a couple of, of eight AT-ATs. And then who knows? You yeah. end up back at Black Spire Outpost. That's part of the story. So you kind of know the end. You know you get back in one piece, but quite a ride. Yeah, maybe a little worse for wear. Who knows, depending on, on, on what actually... Well, a little wiser, too. Exactly. <laughs> and, well, and I love, like, the same thing, same kind of principle applies to the piece you're doing on Millennium Falcon, where they really, you get all these amazing views of the ship in the line, but then you get to just kind of, like, get your little ticket with your group and just hang out by the chess table while you wait for it, which which just really, it's a really smart way to handle crowd control 
Um, and this has happened with more you know, a lot of Disney recent Disney projects, whether it's like the Seven Dwarfs Mine Train or j- just kind of thinking off the top of my head how they've kind of really helped improve that waiting experience. Uh, I've heard like flight of passages like that uh, at Animal Kingdom where they really want to take care of you while you're in line. But it kind of and 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 as you described it, the other reaction I kind of have is it, it seems to be pretty well dispersed throughout the park to kind of minimize maybe too much congestion. So obviously Rise of the Resistance is going to be a huge attraction, but it's kind of out away from the main outpost, which will hopefully divert some of the crowds around. But what was, which I guess brings me one last question because when, when as you're interfacing with um, various representatives uh, of Disney, especially when it comes to the Disney for Hearts folks, uh, is, is crowd control something that they even talked about? I, I didn't really see it in the pieces. Is, is this actually a concern or do you think they just like the idea of the news of like it's so amazing no one can it, like I, i'm just imagining the headlines of like you know cars going way out i4 as they're trying to get to the park or something like that as a, as a positive thing like the, is the, the hype there or or do you think it's a legitimate concern uh it was a legitimate concern among the reporters there it was something that I think, unfortunately, the Disney Parks officials adamantly refused to discuss. Yeah. So it was brought up many times, and it was always, we're going to talk about that at a later date. Yeah. Now, maybe that's because they're still working it out. Maybe that's because the solution is not one that's going to excite people. Like, frankly, at a certain point, no matter what it is, you've got to close it down if it's too crowded, right? Yeah. It doesn't matter if you're a nightclub or Disneyland. Like if it's overcrowded and it's not safe, you've got to say no more. Well, and so Disney's done this before with other experiences um, and areas of the park, but they usually don't officially announce it as a thing. Like I, my my friend Scott Rifen was um, was talking about that. Uh, that's been a process they've had to do before, like temporarily when brand new attractions come out. But I could see them having to do a more form- formalized version of like, hey, this section of the park's too busy. Sorry, you'll have to come back, uh, which would kind of suck if you bought your ticket and you're trying to, and you're there. Yes, that's why I feel like they're going to have to be upfront about it sooner or later. Yeah. Right? Because I think worse than um, being told this is, we're limiting access, uh, is being told we're limiting access when you've already bought your ticket. <laughs> or yeah. Or standing in the park. Yeah, you, like, you don't want that. I think they, I think they actually. Uh, this is my opinion, not anything they said, but they have to find some way to ration the experience, you know, because and, otherwise. And what do you think that people who are all trying to scan the same droid? Yes, and I, and that's just not going to be fun for anyone. Well, and, and, the in, in the context of your experience, <laughs> what does that look like? Do you think that the idea of rationing the experience? I'm not an expert in crowd control or yeah. how these things work, but I would assume that, uh, that maybe you say we're opening the park and we're selling only advanced tickets. You know what I mean? Like you've got to buy your tickets in advance and when they run out, they run out. Well, like even the lightsaber, you know? the savvy's mentioned something about like you kind of schedule the experience if you want to build a lightsaber. Yeah. I think there's going to have to be a commitment to scheduling and offering people the option of registering. And you know that when you buy your ticket from Idaho to come stay in Anaheim or Orlando, that you'll get your experience in the park. And it won't be an experience that's like those old college frats of trying to like cram uh, 30 people into a phone booth. Like it, 
it has to be uh, something where you actually can experience this place without it being a mosh pit. Yes. Yeah, no. We've all seen some of the parody uh, images of like Disney's beautiful concept art versus like just photoshopping in the crowds, <laughs> like they'll look in the final yeah. Picture. Well, uh, ladies the dad and, and daughter standing there with nobody <laughs> in the square except a couple of know, stormtroopers. Right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, that's so true. All right, it's uh, Anthony Bresnikin at Bresnikin on Twitter. Uh, Anthony, thank you so much for coming back on the show. We really do appreciate it, and you taking some time to give us uh, your firsthand perspective on on it. Uh, are you uh, are you ready to head back? Take the fam. Absolutely. Awesome. In fact. Uh, I have to, or else they're going to be really mad. At me. <laughs> I was going to say. So uh, after uh, Dad's work week, I was going to say uh, there might be some expectations <laughs> built in there. But listen, any excuse to go into the world of Star Wars, and it sounds like that's exactly. I'd like, I'd like to visit when it's actually constructed. You know, it yeah. was, it's in pretty rough shape right now. It's mud. It's dirt. It's uh, unfinished interiors. A lot of the exteriors are done, but now they've got to build the in- insides. Yeah. So I'm looking forward to seeing it once it's pretty uh, well set. Yeah, no, absolutely. And uh, I'll be, uh, is, listen, I'm doing my darndest. I'll uh, try to be out there right when it opens. Uh, and I'll brave the crowds. We'll see, uh, we'll see how that goes. But Anthony, thanks so much for coming on the show, and we'll, uh, we'll have you back on again soon. Anytime, Randy. Right. You're listening to the Star Wars Report. Never tell me the odds. All right, that was uh, Anthony Bresnikin. Uh, thanks, man. Appreciate it for uh, for coming on. Always, always great to have uh, have him on, and a great Star Wars dude all around, and just one of those more what's the word connected, well connected uh, Star Wars media member extraordinaire, Anthony Bresnikin. I was everybody. speechless through the whole <laughs> thing. Like, <laughs> yes, he's so <laughs> wonderful. He has his finger like, on the pulse. Yes, um, but uh, but let's get to and we teased it last week, but it's time to get into the most recent Vader series, Dark Lord of the Sith. It is uh, the most... They've released four volumes starting in 2017, starting with Imperial Machine, Legacy's End, The Burning Seas. And then finally, and what we're really going to focus on uh, today as we get into our debut comics talk, is Fortress Vader and specifically that last issue in Fortress Vader. But, uh, but Bruce, I, I issued you the challenge. You read all four volumes in one week. Well done, sir. Bravo. Ooh. I am so impressed. I don't think I have ever read so many comics in one week in my entire life. <laughs> Seriously, because if you consider there's like six issues in each volume, roughly. Yep, yep, true. So that's 24 comics plus... I reread the Lando series, plus I finished the Alpha, Dr. Alpha, Alpha Afra. series. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Afra. Yeah. I'm so confused. The Dr. Afra series, like, I've, I've, I can't even comprehend. I must have read, like, 40 issues this week. Jeez. <laughs> and Holy I had to finish cow. a novel for the uh, literary <laughs> tracks. You, sir, are a machine, an imperial machine. <laughs> it's a joke because it's the name of the... Anyway, um... <clears throat> Let's start with um, Imperial Machine, which is the, the first issue. Now, and, and you know what? Actually, guys, we're going to do light spoilers for the first three volumes, and then we're going to do heavy spoilers 
on Fortress Vader. And we're not going to hit like all the details of the plot points. We are going to talk about kind of significant plot points and stuff. Uh, so if you're if you haven't read the comics and you're planning on it, uh, might want to uh, jump in next week. But uh, mm-hmm. if you want to hear about uh, our thoughts on them, and uh, or you've already read the comics and you and you want to jump in, uh, well, jump into the spoiler. Panicked, spoilery territory. This is your warning. Get out now. And spoiler alert. Spoiler alert. Spoiler alert. Okay, <clears throat> do you think everyone's gone now? <laughs> I think <laughs> we successfully cleared the air. <laughs> I had to do that. So, all right, Imperial Machine. Now, this dives in directly, uh, well, overlapping even with Revenge of the Sith as we relive some of the events uh, of, of Revenge of the Sith uh, as Vader, he's like, Where's Padme? Is she alive? I'm afraid in your anger, you killed her. No! You know, <laughs> we all remember it. But uh, it digs like into the sort of immediate aftermath, which I actually... is kind of like Dark Lord uh, Rise of Darth Vader, the Matt Stover novel, I think. It covers some of the same territory, just in comic form. Like, you, uh, like they see like the big Imperial banners and like the announcements and stuff like that. But I actually, I, I really enjoyed it. It kind of goes through Vader hunting down the remaining Jedi. Uh, and a lot of the, it, it's still a lot of Clone Wars tech, Clone Wars soldiers. Uh, I really enjoyed it. And then Vader goes off on this one-off mission to find this uh, Jedi to uh, get his lightsaber and, and get the crystal so that he could mm-hmm. create his own lightsaber. And that's kind of the story as it's it cr- required. It's as, yeah. yeah. It's basically, he has to uh, claim this, the uh, Kyber crystal so that he could successfully uh, get his own lightsaber. And yeah, it's a, the punctuate, like, you can't, I can't, I'm not going to hand you a saber. You have to go get one yeah. yourself. Had Vader known Galaxy's Edge would have a, uh, a saber <laughs> store, he could have gone there. But he's he got had a to savvy and son salvage and just yep. um, right. gotten it right. Yeah, there. to punctuate the fact, Sidious had a whole batch of all of them. And what was cool was when they were destroyed, the force energy that was released from the sabers. I thought that was a cool little touch. Oh, yeah. Well, and I, um, and man, that duel between him and the Jedi Master dude, I forget his name, but it was, it was ridiculous. <laughs> It was amazing. Mm-hmm. Uh, the art in this series is pretty good too. I mean, it's nothing to sneeze at all the way through. I mean, there's a, occasionally it switches from one artist, uh, you know, from the main artist, and it'll shift a little bit. But for the most part, it's pretty solid all the way yeah. through. Well, and we see in the in towards the end, I think it's the final issue. We see uh, Vader remove the green crystal and try attempt to make it bleed. And what it jumps to is like a series of sort of visions that he has. Um about that sort of like alternate him facing off against Obi-Wan again, um, him facing and, and reliving Mustafar. And it's just beautiful art. And this really sort of dramatic way of how he finally gets his lightsaber and says, master. Uh, and even then at the very last issue kind of cu- introduces the inquisitors, which brings us more to it introduces the inquisitors and one other 
surviving Jedi and brings us to Legacy's End, where uh, the Inquisitors jump in and we learn about one Jocasta New. Librarian's still alive, man. Oh like, my gosh, this is awesome. Yeah, Dying Light was definitely one of my favorite arcs of that story. Yeah. Why is that, Mark? Why is that? Because you get to see not only uh, Jocasta New, but you get to learn more about the Grand Inquisitor. His time as a Jedi, and, and you get to yeah. watch as, like, like Jocasta New has a moment there where you're like, oh, girl, you just totally hosed it. I mean, she, like, jumps over. She's like, don't touch my books! In that one moment, <laughs> that, you're like, oh, <laughs> oh, you were so smart, then you got so stupid. But, but yeah, I mean, there was very in character, too, by the way, though. <laughs> Uh, yeah, yeah. Cause her revisiting the Jedi Library under Imperial control was fascinating, and how like she's offended that um, someone as low as the Inquisitors—not just that it's a bad guy, but that it's like a lackey. She's like, mm-hmm. I feel like she would have been less offended if it was like the Emperor Vader like combing through her archive because they would have deemed it worthy. But she's like, he doesn't even understand the archive. Um, but this is the issue where we first get introduced to this sort of odd art style that I can best describe. And I'm actually going to turn on my webcam for you guys so you guys can reference with me as, as we go rather than just doing page numbers because I think it'll be a little easier. We have the sort of Vincent Van Gogh Vader. Um, yes. when he's, he's in his meditation. That's what I was in love. Oh, he's I in love his, that. And this comes back, and this is what we're going to talk about in, in Fortress Vader. But we get the first, um, this sort of like uh, almost Lord of the Rings-like epic mythic vision that he's having in his meditation chamber he's um, in the force yeah. yeah basically in the force envisioning himself in like a sea of lightning and a black sea underneath as he's meditating and these like like light blue butterflies it reminds me of that scene in uh, fellowship of the ring or maybe it's two towers with gandalf and like the moth that flies mm-hmm. into it's a very Lord of the Rings nerd moment. Sorry, guys. Pardon me well, for the a second. Best, the best metaphor there, though, is his body itself. When you look at every arm that's cut off and the legs that are cut off, it's still the pure Anakin soul presence, even though they no longer exist. But the part of him that's physical, the part of him that's left that he currently yeah. lives with, is scarred, burnt, and just, I mean, it looks like lava. I just absolutely love the way they chose to represent that. Yes. Yeah, no, I, I absolutely loved it. We, we see a bit more of the Inquisitors and uh, a few more details, but then they kind of tease the, uh, at the very end, Vader kind of comes into his own. Oh, and the vision, sorry, the last one, there's a sort of uh, vision where he is everything, yeah, here we go. Everything dies, and he's kind of reliving how he's killed these different people. Anyway, it's just it it, it kind of plants that seed with that art style that comes in a little bit later, and then we get into um, Burning Seas, Volume Three, which starts off with another flashback. I it's over, Anakin. I have the high ground, and you turn the page here, and it's not Anakin you see, but Vader standing there, and um, again reliving the entire moment on Mustafar in his meditation chamber, but instead of him burning it's um obi-wan burning in the lava as he kind of relives it uh i just loved it and then we get into the burning seas which is kind of a little bit of a detour i guess uh you have this whole sequence where it's it's set on uh they have a whole sequence in dak city as they uh go on to the planet uh wait what's the mon calamari right yeah mon calamari and uh there's this it's basically same plane 
Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, and and basically go through the uh, this entire war for Mon Calamari. And I, I enjoyed it. It very much reminded me of those the episodes of the Clone Wars, though. Like Yes. Yes. Uh, That's ba- exactly what I was thinking, too. There's a full-scale mm-hmm. war on Mon Cala, and there's even a few remaining Jedi there that uh, participate. And it ends mm-hmm. up being a pretty hefty kinetic battle. I actually don't remember it too well, although I do remember the king... Uh, dude was pretty cool. Bruce, thoughts? The king dude was cool. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And uh, wait, who's your favorite uh, calamari? Oh, pff. Admiral Raddus. Get out of here. That's easy. <laughs> and he's in this. Yes, my favorite. Yeah. In fact, <clears throat> are you ready? Uh, let's see. There's a panel here where you see... Uh, they sort of have the different fleets on the different hemisphere, and Akbar is in charge of one, and Radis is in charge of the other. Uh, there's Admiral Radis. The king tasked him with defense of the southern polar regions, and he's devised a strategy that is well. I'll give him this. I'll give him his due. It's brilliant. He's taken the vessels of their merchant fleets from Mount Calamari shipyards near the pole and linked them together. They're not military ships. But their shielding is designed for deep space and hyperspace travel, not to mention repelling pirate attacks. He's keeping his own forces in a protective bubble, and our sea bases uh, and teams and tactics can't make a dent. He's basically built himself a fortress. And those are the Mon Calamari cruisers that, of course, we see in Return of the Jedi. And those are, in va- fact, the, that kind of becomes a story plot that feeds more into the main film. Um, why uh, they chose those one of his ones. lieutenants is like t- tells Radis, hey we've seen the we've repelled the latest attacks admiral Radis. the shields are still holding strong he's like of course they are when do you think uh, the imperials will get tired of losing and just withdraw he's like you know commander i almost hope they don't <laughs> <laughs> uh a little a little cocky but you know uh doesn't it doesn't turn out so well actually for for the king and for moncala but the fleet escapes and thus uh, uh, joins the rebellion and comes into the films later. Uh, then also there's this whole side story of the of Tarkin on a hunt with Vader, and it was weird and it was kind of dumb. That that kind of confused me because it was it really threw know, me off. We had the story with Tarkin and he's on you know the Star Destroyer and Vader's well, down you know and then all of a sudden you know why you know it, where it was that from a book from? right wasn't it from it's from the annual. So that's what sucks about what Marvel does is they'll have a series running along and then they're like, oh, it's the end of the year. Time to do an annual. And they'll either do something like this where it's a story that has no sense to what you're reading and it's just thrown in there. Or it's something that's part of the main line, but it's collected as the annual because see, I'm reading this digitally. So for me, the annuals are after all the series. So if I'm reading going from like number 19 to 20 and the annual is really number 20. I'm like, what? I got to get out and go all the way to the annual. I hate annuals <laughs> for that. And that's a Marvel thing. Curse you, Marvel. I was wondering. I was always wondering what they were because that happens a couple times in like the Star Wars line too that I'm reading right now, and it's just like kind of random side stories that don't really yep. have anything to do, and it, uh, that and that explains it better, Mark. I wasn't sure. Uh, yep. All right, so let's get into the meat. Fortress Vader. It's the construction oh. of the fortress. So amazing. Um, and the this um, is a great issue. Specifically, the this this ancient Sith figure, Momon, Moma. How how do you pronounce Mom-an. it? Momon, 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 Momon. Yes. Uh, he the, there's this freaking mask, and when Wait, people pause, put on, Riley, like, pause, Riley. Uh-huh. For people listening, ancient Sith. That that's big. 
That is massive. Yeah. This guy should not exist in the George Lucas era. This guy has managed to pre- preserve himself in a mask. Yes. That is so cool. Not, just just touching on that alone. I, that is so cool. Well, and touching on that alone, that is, ties very much into the concept of surviving beyond death and how the Sith do it versus how the Jedi, how Yoda figures out how to do it. And in his case, he's just preserving part of his sort of cracked soul in the this weird in this mask that when it's put on possesses the person who puts it on very dark is very harry potterish uh mm-hmm. very dark wizard magic type of uh, i love the way vader here. though approaches it like he's just like at first he's just roll- troopers <laughs> yeah he just keeps putting the mask of like some random technician yeah. it's like your moment now congratulations mm-hmm. um yeah we go through the story we get a little bit of the the flashback of like how um he was trained formally and, and how he, he, he got all of this ancient Sith knowledge and he was like the great architect and he's going to be the one who designs Vader's castle and you sort of, they really build it up and then they do this sort of comedic turn. I love these panels where he goes through a series of like eight designs and he's like, this uh, seventh time's the charm, Lord Vader, you know, as he keeps trying and the, keeps getting destroyed Each by the lava. Each bodies change too. Yeah. He's like, he's oh yeah, I again. forgot about that. Yeah, his bodies keep <laughs> changing. Um, and because he's trying to construct like something that can harness the power of the dark side in the planet. Like he's that's a tuning for it. Basically, he, basically they, a they giant describe freaking... it as he's creating a key to a door. The door is the other side, which which is where you were talking about it resonating with rebels. When Ezra finds that pathway that opens up time, yes. and stuff, this is the same thing, but it's opening the netherworld of the force. And it's got to be specifically tuned, which he warned Vader from the start. Like, I'm really close. I was always really close, but it's got to take some fine tuning here. And like, there's, there's that great narrative of how far he can push Vader to, you know, you know, oh, you know, we'll do it. We'll get there. We'll get We're there. We're a little there. more, Vader. Come on. Um, well, yeah, the tuning fork. I've heard that before, but I don't remember it mentioned in this. But didn't we hear it referred to as a tuning fork in something else? Yeah, I want to say it was I, the Rogue One visual it, dictionary. Maybe, yeah, maybe because the Rogue, uh, Rogue yeah. One is where we first actually see the castle. Yes, um, but we get to the final design. And how you can commune with the dark side. And then right as it happens, the sort of side plot of like a counterattack of the uh, indigenous peoples on Mustafar starts launching. And Vader, who's like about ready to like go into cross through this dark side threshold, is then temporarily distracted uh, by the imminent battle that's happening outside. And so he has to go address that. Meanwhile, moment, you know, just... Um, uh, just decides to like uh, take a little peek, if you will, and uh, he does. And what he sees on the other side for him is him, like mm-hmm. his spirit, his dark side, like cracked, shredded, shriveled spirit that he uh, enters through, and he sort of lets himself, his dark side spirit, cross from the far side to the current Star Wars universe, and Moment shows up. Smash cut to the next issue. By the way, great tease. Uh, and that's where we get the face-off. Vader defeats all the Mustafarians with a pretty badass force move uh, and then faces off against Momin. The time is the time has come. And they fa- Momin has these two awesome Sith lightsabers. They go into a duel. And there's this whole sort of philosophical view of the force that happens right before... Well, we'll get there in a sec. And I just want to highlight for you guys uh, what what they there's like, as it's it's like a classic movie. They're they're talking about like 
there what's the thing from incredibles he's kind of monologuing through mm-hmm. the lightsaber duel right um but moment uh <clears throat> yes yeah, thank you vader i'm newly born blah 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 i'm like uh you've unleashed me for the world <laughs> and <clears throat> here we go do not forget vader that i saw into you as you saw into me uh but you know my story but i also know yours they called you the chosen one and believed it. And you believe it still. You think the dark side serves you, obeys your every childish whim. But if the greatest power in the galaxy is actually yours to control, uh, why are you a, here he, uh, and he's taunting, why are you a stub of charred meat in a cape? <laughs> Even more, if you had that power, wouldn't your wife be alive? And I was like, damn. Um, mm-hmm. but like, ah, uh, the, it, it really gets into the, the, the psyche of Vader. The dark side yeah, does not soul s- nails that. I know. Right. Like the dark side does not serve us. We glorify it through our acts. We serve the dark side. And, uh, uh, Vader wonders what lies beyond, but Vader very quickly, like right at the end here is like, you've been poorly tar- taught about what the dark side is. And uh, why we must serve your masters, either ignorant or hoarding knowledge. It saddens me to see the Sith become such Jedi-obsessed weaklings. It saddens me, and I know it disgusts the dark side. Your path- and then he kills him. Vader's like, ah, enough of your monologuing. Uh, literally <laughs> crushes him beneath a giant slab. Um, and uh, Vader then has his opportunity to enter the threshold, which Bruce... Mm-hmm. I, I don't know if you did digital or physical or what whatnot, but... This is the this is the greatest series of panels of Star Wars comics that I've ever read, and I've read a, right? a decent amount now because I've been catching up on like all the Marvel stuff recently. Um, mm. It is incredible, and we dig into uh, Vader entering the threshold where he once again you see the sort of the Van Gogh style of the burnt and charred visage, ghostly visage, and then uh, sort of. It, it, again, Mark, as you talked about the style, kind of highlights it. And it highlights do- dialogue from the films and these panels that sort of see him sort of walking through and witnessing his life. Things like Darth Vader, Anakin Skywalker, I truly deeply love you. Your hate has made you powerful. All these lines, there was no father. You know, line from The Phantom Menace, unnatural. Line from Revenge of the Sith. And that's that famous panel of uh, uh, a sort of ghostly Sidious lording yeah. over so I, I wanted to bring that up because and i wanted I yeah we haven't seen or confirmed that anywhere as vividly as we have here that city that yeah sidious is behind the creation of anakin yes but see that was a misinterpreted panel though because even in this panel she's already pregnant it's just him standing behind it and it's just you know he's like standing there and yeah it looks like he's like channeling stuff but she's already pregnant it's not like the idea of back with legends where it was Plagueis that had seeded anakin and that sidious was watching that because he wanted to take whatever Plagueis was going to go with but see the fan base we took that they were took that and ran with that yeah and i want to say uh uh matt martin came on to twitter and, and rectified that it was a forced vision that there were a lot of things being represented there because like in one of them even like yoda yeah. was shown as being dead and so they were expressing that like don't read too much into don't that, read which it a too lot literally of did okay but so let, do you have that open mark sh- that page yeah, can you I've, see that yeah. i've got okay. it open too yeah so when it says uh, right the panel above that says there was 
no father. And you're yeah. right. She's already pregnant when that's said. Then the next panel, it says unnatural. And there is Palpatine Sidious around her. And then the next panel, there's like the swirl on her belly, the chosen one. It almost represents to me as if she was pregnant. Maybe it was unnatural, but then he did something to it, to the chosen one. It was like maybe the force created Anakin in her body, but then he did some little spell Cor- or something. Corrupted. Because, yeah, corrupted. Because why is there a swirl on her body after, on the huh. belly after he appears? Ooh, yeah. I that, that it's, be and a you're bad right. Idea. Bruce, even with that, even, I, and I that's my reading of it too, Bruce. But I also didn't really read it literally because it's kind of him walking through a force vision, uh, mm. not necessarily a, a literal flashback. But like the flashbacks continue because the next panels chronicle like young Anakin on Tatooine encountering the shadow of Vader, like the old poster. I love the poster. Great yes. reference yeah. to the Phantom mm-hmm. Menace poster, and it, and the poster kind of comes to life in a panel. Uh, terrifying the young Anakin, and he had a bad dream. And I kind of get that sense of him, the young Anakin having that bad dream was kind of real. And then you see the young Anakin again, char- uh, uh, charred and scarred and deformed. And uh, then you have like that series of, now this is pod racing. See, that's what I'm saying. Are it's you like an angel? charred and deformed, but I think that charred and deformed comes from Sidious in that vision that we yeah. were just talking about. And, and that's where you get to these four panels. And this is, these four panels... Um, Chronicle, again, in the same Van Gogh style of art, uh, Tatooine, young Anakin, Jake Lloyd, then Padawan Anakin, then Attack of the Clones, Padawan Anakin, and then uh, finally Anakin, um, uh, Scarred, now Vader, as it quotes all these... uh, all these quotes from the saga, like, we will watch your career with great interest. Focus, young Skywalker. Truly, deeply... Uh, and again, they cut it off before it says lovely. And then uh, we are encouraged to love. And it's like, and it even has these different flashbacks of him in the Phantom Menace greeting uh, the Senator Palpatine and then uh, amongst the younglings with Yoda and entering the arena. And it's just this beautiful art. And that, that's one of the, that's the only time I've ever read a Star Wars comic. And I just like had to pause and like mm-hmm. take a breath for a second because it just so beautifully illustrates where Vader is. And then as you turn the page, it delves into Clone Wars territory as it shows Ahsoka, uh, mm-hmm. both from the Clone Wars and then facing off as she does in Rebels in this sort of same like kind of flashback style. And uh, Well, Bruce, Bruce, you said something <sighs> a second ago that's resonating through this panel here because, you know, how you said it looked like Sidious is doing something after the fact and maybe he's corrupting him. You know, that leans more towards it. When you're watching young Anakin go, and then you can see it's young Anakin with the Padawan braid, then it's young Anakin, the Jedi Knight, and then we get to, he's ran into Dooku, he's missing that arm. Suddenly that arm is pure. Right. It's, yeah. it's you know, that's what you would expect the Force vision to look like. The fact that all of this is, it's he's already dark and tainted, you almost wonder, like, okay, is that then a vision where he's being told something, or is this one of those where he's actually seeing his pass through the Force? If that is actually his pass through the Force, then you're right. Sidious did corrupt him. And that that's interesting because it's like a seed that Sidious planted while he was developing and it went throughout his entire being. Hmm. Even though he yeah. was light and he wasn't corrupted, he was technically corrupted. Technically speaking, it's hard to argue. And like... And what follows is his journey 
of death and destruction on the far side, the far reaches, the netherworlds of the Force. We're going to have to uh, do it in next week's episode as we return to finish our commentary on the Vader series, specifically uh, on next week's episode of the Star Wars Report. Gentlemen, I hate to cut it short, but we can't do it justice. I ran out of recording time. I I ran out of recording time tonight, and we have to talk about uh, all the craziness as he faces off basically the entire Jedi Order, or like the ghosts of them on the far side of the Force, to find Padme. And find her, he does. But not the Padme he was expecting. That's what I call a tease, (laughs) ladies and gentlemen. We'll be back next week. I do uh, declare. Uh, guys, thanks as always for uh, for coming on. The big thanks, shout out to Anthony Bresnikin. You can follow him. He's on Twitter at Bresnikin. And you know, I'll have the links to all his awesome pieces on the show notes for this week's episode. Mr. Herleman can be found at IllogicalRogue2 on Twitter. And Bruce can be found at Admiral underscore Rex on Twitter. I'm also on Twitter at TheRileyGuy. That's also where you can find me on Instagram, TheRileyGuy. Makes it super, super, super easy to remember. And Snapchat if you want to, if that's your thing. And then, of course, follow the show at Star Wars Report. Leave us iTunes reviews. Uh, those always help get the word out about the show. So please don't forget to do that. And then, uh, hey, if you uh, really enjoy the content we've been producing and want to support the show directly and get access to our weekly bonus Rogue Transmission, uh, you can do that over at patreon.com slash Star Wars Report. Big shout out and appreciation to everyone who's supporting us there. That's also where at every level of support, we give you a direct server link where you can go to our uh, webpage that has every single episode we've ever produced, every MP3 right there for patrons at all level. You can find us at patreon.com slash Star Wars Report, and that's where you can uh, get access to all of that. It's uh, good times, good times. And, uh, and join our uh, Facebook chat. It's always a good time in the patron chat. So you can do that there. Uh, And then I think uh, that's going to wrap us up for the Star Wars Report podcast. Thanks for tuning in. May the Force be with you. And remember, many Bothans died to bring you this podcast. a grooving mix of the cantina. I forgot how good this was. Yeah, Hasta luego, folks. Until next time, uh, don't stray too far off the galaxy's edge. Uh,
Bruce, what's the actual like? Give me a number, percentage likelihood that we can convince you to go out to Disneyland this summer. Uh, five percent. Okay, all right, I'll take it. So you're saying there's a chance. There's uh, a chance. Yeah.